Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Now, today we are talking about the risks of 1090 whole life policy design. We're doing a deep dive because we've had this conversation before, but there are additional questions that have come up through the podcast and through our listenership on YouTube and Facebook that we really wanted to bring front and center into this conversation. Now, starting off, I want to let you know that we have Bruce Weiner as well as Rodney Mogan with us today. Now, Bruce, you're my co-host. You're on all of the shows with us. And at the same time, Rodney is a repeat guest. We've had him on before. He works with Mass Mutual and has a, a very impressive list of accomplishments and knowledge to share from in terms of his understanding of policy design in his work with clients and brokers. And so we're going to be bringing them into the show in just a second, but I want to let you know that not all whole life is designed equally. You can say not all All things are created equal. Not all whole life is created equal. Some illustrations are going to show up better on the illustration than other policies, and some are going to have actually higher risk. So what we're going to be talking about today is the risks of 1090 policy design. We're also going to answer your questions and hopefully address that fear, uncertainty, and doubt that really can creep in when somebody starts talking about IBC because of there are so many things that people feel that maybe they're going to miss out on or sometimes something is presented a certain way and facts are left out. Our goal is to be able to share all the facts with you, tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and be able to allow you to make informed decisions in terms of how you move forward with privatized banking. So, Bruce, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I, I think the first thing, um, we're using the word risk for 1090 policy design because we want to uh, address a couple of things that most companies actually use when they design it. However, Rachel, I would also say there are risks to every design. There are risks to all base policies, lack of liquidity. And as you move down towards a 10% base, you have less and less um, uh, lack of liquidity. You have more and more liquidity. And so some people would argue that a 1090 design actually removes a lot of the liquidity risk in that situation. So what we are going to attempt today is not necessarily just focus on 1090, but we'd like to keep the concepts. And Rod, I think I have a lot of experience, but Rodney is actually... Uh, has a lot of experience in this in this area too, and so we'd like to uh, have different viewpoints so we we can explain this. So I'd like to start with a a couple of things. And when when you're Bruce, out there, before we do, at- Bruce, before we do, Rodney, thank you for joining us for the conversation today. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Bruce. All right, Bruce, I'll turn it back to you. <laughs> yeah. So I think what I think what happens here here is people think that there is just one way to design something. And I would say that is almost an impossibility because uh, one way of designing means that everybody's financial situation is the same. And, mm-hmm. and to espouse that this is the best way. And unfortunately, there's uh, this thought process. We're doing this uh, way because it's the best. And oh, by the way, it's, it's got to be the best for you because we're dialing down commissions 
to where it's, it's, they're, they're hardly anything for us. And um, I would say that you have to then look at uh, the value you're getting in that particular uh, engagement with that insurance producer. So example, I've been doing this for a long time and you know, some people do only base policies. There's companies that only espouse base policy for accumulation purposes. And then there's companies that say 1090. Now, Rodney, I think uh, you're pretty comfortable in saying like 1090, especially for mass mutual, but I know for other companies, that's kind of the lowest they really kind of feel comfortable going. And uh, that's actually a little bit lower than they really would like to. Ideally, right. you know, a 30-70 split, maybe 2080, but uh, I mean, they allow a 1090. They'll, yeah, maybe allow as a way. It's, but as far as from a corporate perspective, they would rather see at the lowest a 3070 because they're taking some risk as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of different risk in all these different transactions. It's the risk you take. It's the risk that the company is taking. There's a lot of different things out there, but real quick, Bruce, on that commission piece, I did want to just highlight something that, you know, when you, you know, commission is a, this bad word in the industry or outside of the industry. And I don't understand why it's a bad word. Commission is, is how people get paid. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you were to go buy a car, you know that that salesperson is getting a commission. Now you try to get the lowest price, but at the same time, you know that they got to get paid. But for some reason on the insurance industry, commission is a bad word. And you think that it means that people are, are not acting in your best interest. And that's actually where I, I would argue that a little bit. Uh, and here's how I would argue it is that every industry has some bad actors. Okay. We can all agree with that, whether it's, you know, priests or cops or firefighters or whatever, there's some bad actors. Sa same thing with the legal profession or the insurance profession. But most 99.8% of all the insurance advisors out there, we're trying to do what's right for the client. Some people may not have the full education of being able to design policies the right way. And that's a whole different story. But when it comes to commission, that's how they pay for their families. That's how they do different things. But they also might be part of their philosophy. And if you're, if an agent is giving up a lot of the upfront commission, you have to understand how are they running their business. Well, they're running their business on volume. And if they're running their business on volume, you also have to look at from a client perspective, is that someone I want to work with? Because they're probably not going to have a whole lot of time for me. They're there to get the renewals and things like that. That's a whole back channel, but they're not going to spend a whole lot of time with me potentially because of the fact that they're not getting paid. They're doing it on volume. So do you want someone that's doing something on volume, which is fine. And then I'm not saying that that's not fine. Or do you want someone that is, maybe taking a little bit more time, has a process, has a little bit different planning and wants to do some different things. Now, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a mixture. You know, I, I work with advisors, but I also charge a fee uh, to work with some clients. I do some different things. So, you know, I have different feelings on, on different things on that, but that's, I think when you look at commission, you really want to look at what is the motivation behind that? And it's not necessarily they're trying to get the most money off of you but it's how are they going to serve you of really helping you with those products? I'm, you know, I'm, Rodney, I'm, that's, can, that's exactly where I was going, Rodney. Yeah. I appreciate that. 
Well, and what's really interesting about commission, so the, the reason that we're talking about commission is that more commission is paid on base premium than Correct. on paid up additions. So if you're newer to this conversation and you feel a little lost, that is okay. We do have a part one that kind of gives the backstory and leads up to the conversation today. But for the purpose of commission, you could say, well, if I give, if I write as a producer, if I write a policy with a lower base premium and more paid up additions, I am taking less commission. Yes, it is true that if you have more base, you will get paid more commission. However, to assume that that's the motivating reason that I write the type of policy I do is not a good assumption. That would be thinking right. that every person is 100% selfish and they have no ability to serve other people with what's right for them. And that is just a false assumption. I mean, really, you want to be dealing with people of integrity. You want to be dealing with people who have character and who you know are working for a win-win. Because ultimately, when you win as a client, you're flourishing, your financial goals are being met, you feel in control of your financial life and you're moving towards time and money freedom the way that you want to be. And your financial professionals that are working with you and serving you are getting paid and are profitable and able to stay in business for the long haul because they have that level of expertise and service. That's ultimately what you want. The whole world is expanding in that, posi in that position and perspective. Now it's a abundance-focused place, not this scarcity-minded, I have to take and I have to compete and I have to only have what's in my best interest. So I just want to clarify that, that yes, a higher base policy will pay more commission to the person who wrote the policy. However, that's a result of that transaction. It's not the driving factor or the driving reason that most people would use more base. And Rachel, I'm glad you mentioned scarcity versus abundance mentality. That's actually something I use all the time when I'm talking with my brokers. And I do, you know, I, I design 2080s, 1090s, 4060s, 100% all base. But when we're designing it, one of the biggest things I'm asking the advisor the question is, what are the client's goals and objections, objectives? Mm -hmm. What are we trying to accomplish? Because that's going to actually determine what type of design we do. Um, and in fact, I just did a design uh, earlier today where it would have been better if we put it on an, an L100 chassis for the advisor as far as commission goes, but they only wanted to fund it for 15 years mm. and funding it for 15 years, we have an L15. We have a 15-year funding plan. It's a huge drop in commission, and especially since we were doing some blending but it actually provided a lot stronger guarantee with the client that the client liked. But it also, uh, we were able to fit the premium a little bit better and more importantly, fit a projection of the income that they wanted to draw for the period of time they wanted to withdraw. It. So it fit, it, it fit the client's needs to do that. And you know, every broker advisor I work with, the last question they ever asked me is, what's the commission on this? It's, you know, that, that's the last question on their mind. Now, when I have someone that's, that's the first question, I don't even work with them because obviously our values aren't aligning. So, right. That's, you know, the, that's the bad apples that you need to get out of the industry. Right. And so when we're looking at, um, you know, like literally I will, we, we took the application with this client this morning, right before uh, this podcast, I got the call from the broker say, hey, I forgot to ask you, what's the commission? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, right. You know, or how do I figure it out? And that's what you want. That was not the leading decision. The leading decision was 
what was the client's goals and objectives, and we presented all the different options and let them let them pick it. And so that you know, I'm a I'm a believer in presenting three options. I, I like I like a you know I call it a, a full card Monty or you know the Monty game with three shells. I let the client pick, but the the, the good news is there's a P on, under each shell. So uh, no matter what they pick, they win. It's just what fits best for them. You know, and I think this is actually back to your point, Bruce, at the beginning, where there's not one way for everyone. If you went to an insurance professional and you said, here's exactly what I want. I want this policy design with exactly this company. That's almost like going into the store, the grocery store, and saying, here's exactly the product that I want to buy. Now, you may already know which product you normally buy, which type of butter. Maybe it's Kerrygold butter is what we buy in our house, except I don't eat it because I'm dairy-free at this time. But, but if you already know what you buy and why, because it matches your objectives, well, then that might be the right fit for you. However, what's most important to keep in front of you is what are your goals? Your goals are like the ball that you want to keep your eye on and figuring out which product design you want is the job of the person who really understands your goals and objectives. That's the driving factor. That's the driving motivation. Otherwise, you could just walk into the store and be super overwhelmed with the thousands of ways. I mean, I don't know, thousands, millions of different ways you could pull and tweak different levers within the policy, you could come up with absolutely anything and trying to figure all that out is really overwhelming for you as a consumer. Whereas the most important thing is figuring out what do I want to do with this policy? And then how can I figure out who to trust that is going to really help me reach those goals? Yeah, I think what's interesting is um, we also have to protect the consumer from themselves. And I, I'd say this, I say this because we are the advisor here, and that's why they're coming to us. So people a lot of times tell me that, or they'll say to me, "Tell me what I should do." And I would, I say, "Well, first I have to know you better," and I, I ask a series of questions to get to know them better, because I tell them, "You're, you're not getting me as an advisor. You're getting me sitting down with five thousand different people." And I have figured out what has worked in one family and what didn't work in another family. So you're using my expertise to say, listen, I've listened to you and I believe this is what you want, but you haven't considered this. Mm -hmm. And that is really, really important. Now, we can make a general statement here when people say, uh, a 1090 not a 1090 design puts more risk on the the policyholder and a, and less risk risk to the insurance company i don't think people really believe that i think they say they see from what they consider education that they've looked at on youtube or they read about is oh well there's guarantees in this so i ha i really don't have any risk the, the risk is on the insurance company well, the guaranteed part uh, has no risk, but when you start adding dividends and then blended uh, term and PUAs, it suddenly shifts away from the guarantees. Because remember, guarantees do not include the dividends. They do not include the term past the term period. So when you start adding that to it, you're looking for the producer, the advisor to say, okay, now, yes, there's guarantees here. But once dividends are factored into the situation, 
you must understand we have now put risk onto you on certain uh, products and away from the insurance company. So Rodney, I'm sure you have something to add to that. Yeah, I've actually got two things. The first one is I just want to make sure that we're clear on what Bruce is talking about, the dividend piece. So a lot of companies have, or companies have guarantees. So whether that's 3%, 2%, whatever the number is, when Bruce is saying the dividends are not guaranteed, what he's talking about is that portion above or what's called the current dividend, and that changes on an annual basis. So there is the guarantee that's built into the contract. That does not change, but then it's, the, it's that difference or spread above that that potentially can change and does. In fact, in today's low interest rate environment, very you know, you're not seeing a company increase dividends. You're seeing companies either hold or decrease year after year. And you're going to continue to see that based on the interest rate environment. The other thing that I, I just want to key in on, uh, Bruce, and it's not to contradict you, I just think that we need to really work on our language when we're working with people. And it's, I agree. You can correct me anytime with language. It's To me, I, I don't like the, the phrase to protect our clients from themselves. What I actually like to look at is to use Covey's words, uh, it's our job is to help our clients see the forest from the trees and to really be able everything you said was perfect. I just don't like that we have to protect them from themselves because that puts us more like we're a little bit. Right, they have no responsibility. They, they have no right. responsibility. And, and, and I, don't, I don't think we're better than anybody. I think that, but like you said, you've actually sat with 5,000 people or 10,000 people. I know if I look back at my calendar over 20 years, I know that I have sat in over, I think it's 27,000 meetings when I actually added it up a yeah. couple years ago. So we've gotten an experience from it. Um, so we've been able to see what works, what doesn't work, you know, all, how all these different things work, the different training, education we go through. So it's our job more to pull you out of you know, what, you're, what you're just seeing one level and really educate you and give you some different um, – perspective so that you can see more of the forest from the trees and the client can make an informed decision instead of just a decision based on a certain set of facts. And I really appreciate that. I, I appreciate the idea that how can we look at the bigger picture and be able to not zoom in so close to the micro details that we lose sight of what we're trying to accomplish. So with that perspective and with that being said, Let's talk about illustrations and let's go towards talking about what is exactly the impact of dividends specifically in a 1090 policy design and how do they have the potential to have this wheel come off the axle and not have the policy perform the way that you would expect it to. So the first thing I do want to say is that illustrations, and I know Rodney, you have a, another piece on this as well. So an illustration is a projection. When you sit down with an advisor and you are before you've put a policy in place, you've had a conversation, we understand what you want to accomplish. We know your wish list. We know your, your financial picture and where your money is and where it's sitting and where it's flowing and how we can help you maximize your control and your cash flow. So we're in that position. Now we're looking at a specific life insurance illustration to implement in your life that we are recommending moving forward with. When you look at that illustration, it is not in force yet. It is not a contract. It is not a guarantee. 
It does not mean this policy will perform this way. It is a projection. It's a forward thinking idea of what you can expect and hope for and what you can stretch that performance out into the future if multiple factors stay the same, specifically dividends, if dividends stay at, at today's current dividend scale. So I'll pass it back to you, Rodney, on illustrations, what that means, and then where dividends, let's lead towards where dividends impact the 1090 design. So you know, real quick, in the, in the financial industry, um, there's two types of illustrations. You know, if you sat down with a stockbroker or uh, another advisor or whatever, and they're talking about mutual funds, they have to call something called hypothetical. It's the same thing as a life insurance illustration because both of them are just a moment in time and they're both looking at, but hypotheticals have by law have to look at the particular rate of return and past performance and then put that together. Illustrations actually allow you to do something called what I call straight lining. So they allow you to take the interest rate or the dividend rate, depending on what type of policy you're looking at and straight line it all the way through uh, whatever period of time you're looking at on an illustration. So age 100 or whatever it might be. So like you said, Rachel, if you are using a 5.8% dividend today or a 6% or a 5.5, it's showing that dividend paying that company paying that dividend each and every single year till age 100 or, you know, however you, how long you have that policy. And one little caveat, hold your thought for just a second for the listener. If we're talking about a dividend and there's a declared dividend amount, you just mentioned 6.0 or 5.8, that's a gross dividend that is declared by the company. That is not the amount that you will see realized in your policy. Once you look at the illustration, that will be net of fees, net of taxes, net of all of the um, things that are going to be taken out before that dividend gets to you. And so when you see the cash value amount on the guaranteed side of the illustration, that is going to um, be your guarantee. And then the dividend is the amount of dividend that's applied to your policy at today's dividend rate. Correct. Exactly. And so you know, that, that can change. And we've yet to see a company that pays the same dividend year after year after year for 40, 50 years. I can show you you know, at any time, uh, a curve rate of the top 10 whole life companies out there. And each one has been at the top of the dividend scale at least once over the last 40 years. Each one has also been at the bottom at least once over the last. So what I'm saying is dividends change. Companies, you know, philosophies, how they invest, how they do different things, their sales, all the, they all change. And so you're going to have some increase, some decrease. You're going to have external factors like the um, current interest rate environment that's going to affect it. So when, I, when I'm presenting an illustration, I do focus on the guaranteed side. I talk about the guarantee of here's baseline of what it's going to perform. Now, if we want to actually have some additional, you know, do, do these different things, this is what the design can look like. And this is what you may potentially be able to accomplish. I'm a big believer right now when I run an illustration, because I believe that interest rates are going down, I run my illustrations anywhere from 0.2 to 0.5 basis points, or 20 to 50 basis points, I should say, lower than what the current dividend rate is, so that I can show the client a more realistic of what it might look like. Even though it's straight line, 
I'm just a little bit more conservative that way. Now, I'm conservative because I don't want a client to come back to me 10, 15, 20 years down the road looking at the original illustration and say, this is what you promised me. Even though that's not what I promised them, it's just that's what clients think. That's what an illustration is. It's not, but that's what they think it is. I want them, I want to be able to outperform what I'm showing them so that they can really see. So I'd rather have a lower dividend rate being illustrated and then maybe have a little money going, more money going into it. But now all of a sudden, five years from now, when we do a review and you should be doing a review every year in my, in my view, uh, doing an enforced ledger and looking at how things change. But every year when you do that review, you might compare it to the original illustration. Now you can see, oh, wow, okay, this is outperforming it right now, so on and so forth. So it's, it's kind of that under-promise, over-deliver phrase that you hear a lot. Mm-hmm. I'd rather do that than not. So I know I've talked a lot, so I'll, I'll let Bruce go. <laughs> no, that's good. I think, I think that um, I agree 100%. And this, is, and this is what I worry about and, and, um, to help people understand that it's funny, and I'm also an investment advisor, so I have to live in the other world too. And you have to be really, really careful by regulations to not make any projections going forward. Um, even to the point where you could recommend a stock, but you can't say, I think this stock's going to go up. I mean, that is people, I tell that to people all the time. They're, oh, that can't be right. Well, then how do you make a recommendation? Well, we just have to say, hey, these, this stock has good fundamentals. You know, we can't say, and we think with the, new, with the increase of this and this and this, we believe it's going to go up in the future. Not even saying we, we think it's going to go up, you know, 10%. We can't even say we think it's going to go up. But in the in insurance world, which I'm also in, you know, we're allowed to project um, that you're going to get a dividend. And a dividend is not guaranteed. So no matter how many times you say that, because I've been doing this since the 80s, you know, people, people don't remember it. And unfortunately, we have to have gone. We have gone now to a uh, uh, where people write and they sign the they sign the illustration. And on the illustration, it says, "I'm signing this illustration," and I understand that it's not guaranteed. So that's the insurance company trying to protect themselves from people. And then the second thing is, is we've actually had people start to sign their capitalization strategy. So. You know, we say, okay, we're going to put $1,000 a month in, or we're going to take $50,000 a month from the business and put it in here to capitalize it. We want them to sign it so that when they come back and say, well, I didn't know I had to put 50000 in this every year for 20 years. I'm so, I said, well, we have talked about it. You actually signed it. And then, you know, you can't, you can't uh, protect yourself from everybody, uh, but most people are saying, yeah, I remember signing that now. You're right. So um, what can we do now? And that comes down to policy design again. So I think the, as, we, as we're into this um, podcast, I think one of the main reasons for the podcast was talk about some of the potential risk. And mm-hmm. I, hit it, I hit it at the very beginning and I said, there's risk to every policy design. But now let's talk about the 1090 risk and the blend in order to get the the, the 1090 design, most of it would have to be a blended PUA because you do not have enough death benefit to be able to stuff that much in. And for our listeners, 
Mm -hmm. the, the uh, IRS says that the death benefit has to be so high uh, um, corridored as far as how much you put into a policy. And if you don't, it becomes something what the IRS calls a modified endowment contract. And there's nothing wrong with it necessarily, but it now becomes taxable. It grows taxable. And then mm -hmm. you assess it taxable also. So, Roddy, why don't you go ahead and talk about uh, uh, some of the risk on that 1090 design? Actually, um, sorry, not to cut you off. If I may, I want to share the high-level perspective of this. Hopefully, it'll be in like a... 30 second snapshot and then I want to deep dive in with rotting and I think the reason I want to do this is because for you if you're listening I want to make sure that again we keep the big picture perspective so Bruce you're talking about in a 1090 design we have these uh, we need to fund it a certain way to make sure that it doesn't mech now the biggest situation with a 1090 design is that usually they're using what's called a blended term rider which has an annually renewable term cost inside of that rider the term cost is not a guaranteed cost now you would expect the growth of the policy with dividends that are not guaranteed to make sure that it outpaces any additional increases in cost inside the policy the problem is the dividend rate is not guaranteed as well as the term cost on the blended PUA rider is not guaranteed. So you can end up in a situation where if dividends don't perform as highly as you would hope and the term cost might be higher than you had expected, you may be in a situation where the policy now needs additional capital to be able to maintain its tax advantage status. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Yes. So that is the piece that is one of the greatest risks. And then when you look at, there's another element of this, that most of the dividends are paid on your base premium. And if you're in a situation where you have less base than paid up additions, even if your dividend goes up in the future, you're less able to capitalize on it because you have less base in your policy. And if the dividend goes down, it can be a position that you have less base to hold up those dividends and so it impacts you even more greatly causing the policy not to grow sufficient to handle those additional costs so i'll pass it back to you rodney at this point i just want to make sure that at a high level we're we're condensing it and packaging right. that idea very briefly well, and so you know bruce talked about there's a lot of risks no matter what policy design you do and you know so if you do 100 percent base you do have a liquidity risk, you know, and you also have um, a com what I call a commitment risk, because uh, now you're actually you're committed at this higher premium for a period of time. So, I, you know, I made that up, and I call it a commitment risk. <laughs> that sounds good. I want to use it. <laughs> but you know, with a, a 1090, you still have a commitment risk. You know, you have your you have a lower one, but you have a commitment risk. You have your base premium. Um, and you know, let's just say, let's say you're putting a twenty thousand dollars. So you're doing a ten ninety. So you got two thousand dollars. So you still have to put that two thousand dollars in. Um, you you can not, maybe not put in some of the of the other eighteen thousand. You can drop some of that term rider things like that. But that's where you have some other risks. Um, you have a death benefit risk. So if you are utilizing this policy, which and I said this on our the last podcast I joined on was to me. If you're looking at doing an IBC concept, the first thing you need to look at 
is do you have a death benefit need? If that's the case, whether it's a small need or, or, or large need, I'm just saying you need to have a need. Because to me, otherwise, there's a lot of other ways you can um, you know, do your own banking. But uh, having a – that's for a different podcast. But um, with this, you have a death benefit risk. So if you all of a sudden can't afford to put in that additional money to pay for the premium for that term blend that Rachel was talking about, well, now your option is you can lower that amount or you can – you can decrease that amount or you can eliminate that amount. Well, if you do that, what have you just done? You've eliminated some of the death benefit you might need. Mm -hmm. And so that to me is a death benefit risk. And you have to look at it. If something were to happen to you, how's that going to affect your family? And then the the biggest one is the dividend risk. Um, You know, there is the guarantee, but remember the guarantees are only on the base premium and the base death benefit. They are not on the, the term or the blended, the blended riders, things like that. Those can change. And so the first few years of the policy, you probably aren't going to see a change. And in fact, if you look at the illustration, and I, I, Rachel, I know we got a, this question a couple of times on, off the last podcast. They said, when I look at the illustration, it doesn't, doesn't change. Yeah, because remember what I just said about 10 minutes ago. The illustration is based on a straight line dividend. So mm-hmm. it's assuming that the dividend never changes. That's not possible. The dividend is going to change at some point in that, in that part, whether it goes up or down. If it goes up, you're doing pretty good, except for, like Rachel mentioned, you're not getting as much dividend because you have a lower base. But at the same time, if it goes down, there is a potential. Not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying there is a potential, especially if you borrow money out, things like that that you might have to put more money in if you want to maintain that death benefit. And as Bruce mentioned, that death benefit is, has two umbrellas. Number one is to help protect your family, but the other one is because of the IRS. So if you lose some of that death benefit and you've actually been hot, highly funding the cash value, you potentially could what we call mech it or create a modified endowment contract, which as we said in the last podcast, is not necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time, that might not be the strategy you were trying to accomplish. Exactly. Okay, so that that's good. So I think both of you did a good job of kind of talking about the risk there on, on my framework. So um, here's one of the points that I wanted to bring up because I use this as a guiding factor in everything I do in my life. So I look at the extremes all the time. So if I'm going to build a house, which I did five years ago, I, we said, okay, what's the smallest house we could build and live in and be comfortable? And what's the largest house we could build in or build and not think it's you know, a stress on us financially? And then, so we look at it from both angles and then we pull it together and we figure out well, what's best for our situation. I do that with my clients all the time when they're trying to figure out what else to invest in or what else to save in and so on and so forth. So just, I drive my wife crazy because I always use logic and I think that's a great way to use logic. So let's just logically think about the risk from 1090 to all base. Well, if 1090, if all base really takes the risk and puts it mainly on the insurance company, then when we go the other end of the spectrum on design, then that would mean that as we move down that spectrum, more of the risk gets put on the 
policyholder. And I could prove that even more by if you, Roddy, if somebody would send in a 1% base and a 90% PUA rider, it would get rejected yeah. by, the, yeah. by the company. And the reason it would, it would get rejected by the company is the company would not want to take on that much risk. Um, and so I'm just saying logically, then that means they're putting more of the risk onto the policyholder. And I think logically, that's what a person has to do when they're trying to figure this out is, where do I want to be on this scale? Mm -hmm. Do I want to be all the way over here or all the way over here? Probably not. You want to be somewhere where you get the best of variety of worlds to actually achieve your objectives. Yes, because otherwise, if you said, well, I want an all-based policy, which is going to completely shift the burden of risk onto the insurance company at that position, you're saying, well, I'm going to be giving up the ability to have the liquidity and be able to use the cash value in the early years. And so that's where we're talking about that balance point, or I'll call it like a fulcrum. If you think about like a a teeter-totter on the kid um, playgrounds when you were little, that where's that balance point in between getting the best long-term growth and not sacrificing or giving any of that up, but also getting the most early cash value. And that's ultimately what we're trying to discover for you. And the way I like to think about it, and it's hard to tell on a video conference, but I'm 7'2", and so I'm a huge basketball fan, uh, but I, I'm also autistic. I'm on the aut- autistic spectrum, so I, Bruce, like, I live by logic. So uh, the way I look at it is risk and reward. So if I can get – I can take a layup, or my shot was a hook shot, which was, I was deadly at, so I could do that right by the basket. I know it's going to go in. I'm going to get two points. I've got a low risk, high reward. In fact, I might even actually get fouled and have the chance to shoot a free throw. But I could actually back up further and, you know, shoot from the free throw line, which I am still a good free throw shooter and still a good shot, you know, and still get two points off of that. But now I have a little bit more risk to it. Or I can get a lot more reward by taking a three-pointer, but I got a lot more risk because now – I can miss it. I can miss it badly. I can do a lot of different things. I'm not saying I'm, I was a 30% free, uh, three-point shooter in college, but you know that's a 70% chance of failure. <laughs> um, and you're also so, and you're also less likely to get fouled a further away from the basket. Exactly. So there's there's a lot less there's a lot there's a chance for a greater reward as far as three points, but there's a lot more risk as far as to me, the team, everything like that. So that's how I kind of look at it, and I, I do explain it in those terms. Not to try to use a sports analogy to do that, but it's having those different conversations. And that really goes back to what Bruce's point earlier is our job is to actually help people see the forest from the trees. And really, you know, um, when I was learning to dunk, I'll use this as a quick story. When I was learning to dunk, I wasn't great at dunking. Even though I was tall, I wasn't always perfect. So my coach said, if you can't, if you can't guarantee me that when you dunk it, you're going to make it, take the layup instead. So I have always actually stopped dunking because I could never guarantee it. I just go with the layup because I know I can make that. So, and I'm gonna, there's a better chance I'm going to get fouled doing it too. So that's just how I look at it. Well, and I think that plays into the whole idea of having money in life insurance at all in the first place really is this idea of how can I have some certainty? How can I have some guarantees and some access to my capital? And how can I make sure that I'm storing it in a place where I have maximum safety, liquidity, and growth? And that's where we're lowering risk, 
but then how do you design that specific policy to give you that balance of early cash value and the low risk as well? You're shifting as much of the burden of the risk to the insurance company, but you're in a position of being able to maximize the rewards today and in the future of that policy. So if you're interested, yes. Real quick, Rachel, just because you know I have to leave here in a, in a second. I just wanted just to point out that we're talking about risk of 1090. There's risk to 4060 and all that. But you, the client, get to make that decision. The advisor's job is to show you, tell you, educate you, and show you the different risks. But you've got to make the decision based on your specific situation and what you're most comfortable with. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Absolutely. And I was just going to lead that into our process involves really talking with you as a client figuring out what your goals and objectives are and figuring out then the ideal design that is going to help you accomplish those goals. And that's what our advisor team is so skillful at with this volume of clientele that they've worked with before and the level of experience that they have. So I will let you know if you're interested in finding out more about infinite banking and the concept of using specially designed whole life insurance, you can go to privatizedbankingsecrets.com. We have a free guide and video training there that you can access and really dig into what does this mean for me in my personal life. And if you want to implement, we'd love to talk with you. You can go to themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar, book a free 30 minute strategy session. And that just starts off the conversation. It's not a commitment to marry us. It's a, a really, it's an opportunity for you to get to know our team and find out if we are a good fit that resonates in helping you accomplish your goals. So thank you for joining us on this excellent conversation today. Rodney, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you. your time. And Bruce, thank you for being on the show as well. Thank you for being willing to have these courageous conversations and really be able to help people to understand the forest from the trees and be able to make decisions and be empowered. So in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.